0: to receive God's grace so that we may become fully who God has created us to be. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, uh, tonight, I'm very happy to uh, introduce to you uh, a woman that I've known for about, hmm, what, a dozen years now or so, roughly? And I think that's about when I met her, and she's been really involved in uh, in church ministry and in uh, healing ministries for uh, those years that she's been a part of the church. And so I'm really excited to hear her story tonight. So please welcome Amy
1: Julian. So I was involved in RCIA for like 12 of the 13 years that I, since I came into the church. And a number of times people have asked me, or I've been visiting with somebody about inviting somebody to RCIA. And I have heard so often somebody say, well, I don't think they're ready to come to RCIA yet. They don't even go to Mass. Um, And so I speak to that because I, I, in part, want to tell you how not ready that I was to come to RCIA. I was raised Methodist in a very practicing household. We went to church every Sunday, Bible school, Bible camp, Sunday school, youth fellowship, you name it, but for me, Somewhere along the line, I lost that connection of the relationship with Christ. And so church became more about what good people do. You know, like good men might join the Lions Club and good kids join Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts and work to get good grades and good families go to church. And I didn't really think about that relationship or what really defined good. I thought of myself as a good Kid, and I worked really hard so that people around me would think that I was a good kid but I was defining good by my surroundings and my peers and the people who um, just what was acceptable and so when you define good by that it's easy to make mistakes and I made a lot of them but when looking around me, I still consider myself to be a good kid. I got really good grades, had, you know, awards, I had a scholarship for college, and the summer after I graduated from high school, I was crowned Miss Marilyn Teen. So, good, right? And then two weeks later, I found out that I began to suspect that I was pregnant. Which was not good. It was terrifyingly not good. And um, my boyfriend and I went down to Planned Parenthood. And a lot of things were wrong with that day. I was 17 years old. I was never asked for a parental consent or if I had visited with a counselor or a pastor or anything um, when they explained the procedure. I passed out, and they revived me and never asked if I was having second thoughts. Um, But they were providing a solution for my problem, and in my fear, I took them up on that solution. And it it was horrific. I mean, really, like I said, a lot of things were wrong with that day. And I knew at that moment that this was not good and that I was no longer good. And that shaped my self-perception for a lot of years, that idea that, um, that I was not good. And I tried to keep kind of regaining that. Um, And mostly by seeking approval from people. Um, Really from a lot of people, from anyone, and that really led to a lot more mistakes. Um, If you can think of a really stupid mistake you can make at college, I made it, probably more than once. Um, But eventually, I began to really try to get my life back on track. And in my way, that was getting good grades. And so I... after my second or third, well, after my second or third semester, I really started to excel in school, and I began to feel good again. That, or feel that that I was good because I was getting good grades again. And I graduated from school and um, got a job in Phoenix and um, excelled at that job. And so that was good. Flew around the country, flew around the world, um, made a lot of money, uh, put my mistakes behind me, life was beginning to be really good. And um, I got married and we started right, right away trying to become pregnant. And then I could no longer put my mistakes behind me because I started, we couldn't get pregnant right away. And I started to think about that God that I had left behind 10 years before and why on earth would he give me a child? Um, and I began to fear that that God. Um, but we did become pregnant after a couple of years. And at first I was really joyful about it, but then I began to have nightmares. And that's not uncommon with post abortive women that um, Nightmare's about, about vengeance, basically, and retribution, um, my entire pregnancy. And I, I um, really had difficulty bonding with my daughter at first, I think because of that. Um, but it was, uh, she, she was born, she was, she was a beautiful baby girl, and so I began to think that maybe God wasn't going to destroy my life after all. Uh, We moved up here to Wyoming to a ranch, and um, I had these images of being Laura Ingalls Wilder on the ranch, and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was going to learn how to can and make jam. And um, we moved into a 100-year-old log house that I had a love-hate relationship because it had really very bad plumbing and electricity. Um, But the thought of it was really nice to live in this house. but after a year of staying at home, my husband came to me and said, you know, I really don't think you're cut out to be a mom. And I think he meant stay-at-home mom, but, but what he said was mom. And it really struck to the core of the fears and the worries I had had that year. But he said, you know, financially, we really kind of need another income, so I need you to go back to work. And so I did. I went back to work um, because we did. We did need money. Um where am I? Um my pages are out of order. So um I went back to work and I will tell you that I could not find a job like I had in Phoenix. Um it, I mean I I literally we got to spend the night in Iceland one one night when we were flying back on the corporate jet from Europe, you know, and so there are not many jobs like that in Beulah, Wyoming. <laughs> and uh, but I found a decent job and, um, it, you know, it paid okay. And I was contributing to the household income and we had a bunch more kids and the years passed. And after about 10 years, I realized that I was kind of miserable. You know, that I was living a day-to-day life. I was, we had good good moments with the kids in the, in the family, but there were a lot of times when I yelled too much at the kids. Um, there was a deep inner dissatisfaction. I mean, I I didn't know what it was. I really assumed it was because I had left this great job behind in Phoenix and that um, what I had now couldn't compare. And I had defined myself, remember, my worth and my goodness um, by my success. And I was not successful, so I really felt very unworthy. Um, And then i met a friend of mine who uh also had left her career behind she had moved up from houston where she was a certified underwater oil rig welder and she really couldn't find a job in beulah (laughs) because we have no underwater oil rigs and uh but she had like this piece about her and i really wanted that piece and, um, and I, I asked her who her doctor was, could I get the same prescription? And <laughs> <laughs> she said, no, I'm <laughs> not on anything. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's the Lord, you know? And so she began to introduce me to the Lord in her, um, her church group. And I decided that maybe that's what I was missing. So I um, decided to go back to the Methodist Church where I was raised, because I had good experiences in that. But I had married a Catholic. And I, in my mind, had promised to raise my kids Catholic. So I thought, well, I'll call the church and enroll them in CCD. And then I'll go across the street to the Methodist Church while they're at CCD. So I called Tammy and explained, I'm not Catholic. I need to enroll my kids. So she said, hey, tonight is the first night of RCIA. I'll send the CCD forms down there. You can enroll them and you'll be all set. I said, great, I had no idea what RCIA was, but yeah, sure, I'll come enroll my kids. (laughs) So I get there, I parked in the wrong place, and the door was locked, so I walk around the building like the wrong way, because every door was locked, and I finally came to the right door, and I kind of had an attitude by the time I got to that door, and then I couldn't find the room, because they didn't have signs up. And so I finally get down to the room, and I, and I really have an attitude at this point. She hands me the paperwork, I sit down, I start filling it out. And I realize what RCIA was. And I was like, these darn Catholics, they are no better than used car salesmen. They're like using these bait and switch tactics on me. And so I was sitting there trying to figure out how I can gracefully exit the room And Linda Simon started talking about how she had been Methodist the year before and come into the church. And she came to RCIA because her daughter wanted to receive communion like daddy. So Linda enrolled her in CCD and enrolled herself in RCIA so that she could learn what her daughter was being taught so she could unteach it at home at night. And her story was enough like mine that I thought, well, You know, okay, stick around, see what they have to offer. So when I say I wasn't ready to come to RCIA, I would challenge you to find somebody less ready than I was to come to RCIA. Um, But just that decision to stick around and check it out, um, you know, was just like the tiniest mustard seed for God that he would work with that. And that first night... Um, Father Carey said do you have any questions and nobody raised their hand and so I said well I know you Catholics um, believe that Christ is really present in communion and I just don't see how you can believe that and he said well that's okay we'll we'll cover that you know so it's okay that you don't believe that now that's why you're here any more questions and I said well I know you guys go to confession and you believe you can confess to a priest and I think I can go straight to God, thank you very much, so I don't think I would ever go to confession. And he goes, well, that's okay, you know, we'll cover that. So you don't need to believe that now. Any more questions? And I'm sure he's hoping somebody would raise their hand other than me. And so finally I said, well, I know you guys have a really strict moral code, and I don't agree with your moral teachings. Um, And he said, well, that's okay, we'll cover that, and (laughs) excuse me, why are you here? (laughs) He didn't say that, but I'm sure he was thinking that. But, um, but, but you know, I agreed. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll stick it around. And I will tell you, like, the first thing I fell in love with was the whole concept of apostolic succession. The idea that every priest is ordained by a bishop who is ordained by a bishop, who is ordained by a bishop who is ordained by, is ordained by an apostle who is ordained by Christ, just was unfathomable to me. You cradle Catholics, you take that for granted, but that is incredible for someone raised outside of the church. And it made me a little sad, because I still didn't think there was any chance I was coming into the church, um, and, and that every other you know, church has something valid to offer, but that I would always be in kind of a Johnny-come-lately church compared to the Catholic church. So, so, so it made me a little sad, as odd as I was by that fact. And then... Um, In November, we were gonna have my son baptized. I had a six week old son when I started uh, RCIA. And um, it occurred to me that it might be good for him to start going to mass if I was gonna have him baptized. So I started going to mass and he was baptized. And then in December, we had our um, Advent retreat and Father Carey did a guided meditation on the Samaritan woman at the well and it was the first time i had ever heard scripture read like that and meditate just dove in to the scripture and to put yourself in it and i was floored i was blown away and he invited us to go into the chapel and pick another scripture to meditate on and and, and i for some reason picked abraham's sacrifice of isaac and the Lord spoke so clearly to me in the chapel that, that I, I couldn't even fathom it. And it wasn't until today, when I was getting ready for this talk, that I realized the irony that that was my first meditation. You know, the the idea of a father being willing to sacrifice his son and being stayed by an angel, um, I think was very healing for me. It began that healing process for me. Um, but I still didn't believe in the sacraments. You know, I, I, I loved the church at that point, but I, I didn't believe in the sacraments and I didn't think an adult could come into the Catholic Church and come to believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. It would be like asking an adult to believe in the tooth fairy. I thought you had to be indoctrinated with it as a child. And, then, and so I had a dream and Saint Ball came to me and took me on a, a little sleigh ride in a winter wonderland and we had fur robes on our laps. And he didn't say anything, which I think would have been very atypical for Paul. But at the very end, I think he would have been chattier than that. But at the very end, he was helping me out of the sleigh and he held my hand as I was getting out. And he looked in my eyes and he said, you will enjoy all of the sacraments. And then I woke up and I thought, what on earth does that mean? (laughs) Okay, I don't even believe in the sacraments, but sure. Um, and then the next time I was at Mass, when, uh, Father Carry held up the host and the chalice and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, of course, He's really there. He said He would be. He created the entire universe. If He wants to be in bread, He can totally be in bread. He's God. And I, I knew, I knew He was really present. And, uh, I really wanted to come into the Catholic Church at that point. And all I had to do was go to confession, and that was not going to happen. I'm sorry, no. So I was really distraught at that point. So this is December. And January, so I, I had quite the conflict going on there for a while. Um, and in January, I was driving the work, and it was um, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and for the whole week kslt had interviews with people about abortion and oh, it was like the floodgates just opened every week driving to work or every day driving to work that week i would just bawl. and i would get to the daycare and i would have to wipe off my face before i took my child in and by the end of the week i was completely broken and i called father carrie and said i have got to come to confession and so he said sure come on, and so I went in, and um, if you've never had a confession like that, um, you may not fully appreciate the power of that sacrament, um, and when he absolved me, he laid his hand on my head and absolved me of my sins, I felt shackles. Come off that um, I didn't know I was wearing. And I went into the chapel and I just bawled. And it started raining really hard on that metal roof. And which is really loud. And it just felt for like a half an hour, it was just pouring down the rain, and I just felt like God was just washing me clean as I was just crying and crying. And I finally stopped. The floodgates stopped and the rain stopped. <laughs> And the um, sun came in from the stained glass window over my shoulder and it showed right on the tabernacle. It was like God said, welcome home. You know, my precious child, you are home. And um, the rest of that Lent was just, insane. Jacques was still in Spherefish and the Newman um, Club did living stations that ripped me apart. And Jacques played um, Why by Michael Card. And that continues to be one of my favorite songs that can bring me to my knees wherever I am. So thank you Jacques for that gift. (laughs) And um, by Easter Vigil, I was um, completely and totally head over heels in love with God and his church. And it was, um, you know, indescribable. I mean, it was really, really wonderful. Um, and especially when when uh, we came, uh, we were received into the church as uh, a candidates, and we came up and shook Father Carey's hand, and Father Carey would say, "Welcome home to each of us." You know, it, it just brought me right back there to the chapel. And then uh, a, a month later, um, God called me to the Rachel's Vineyard retreat, which was an additional incredible amount of healing. And He has continued to work. Uh, through me or work with me, draw me in through the sacraments and prayers and scripture and 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 really a lot through um, the work that he has drawn me into and I had spent most of my life working to prove to somebody that I was good enough and now I feel like the last 13 years I've been given the gift of working out of sheer love and sheer gratitude and a desire to bring others to the Lord, to the foot of the cross and to the light and the love of our savior. Um, And so he has blessed me immensely. Um, And I will say in closing, we know that abortion is a scourge on our society and on the entire world, really, Um, and that we need to continue to fight this. But I would encourage you, when you speak about abortion, um, to do it with love. You know, I've, I've heard many people say, just out of sheer you know, incredulity. How could a woman do that? I don't understand how a woman could do that. And I've heard them say that in the hearing of someone else who has not yet been healed of that wound. Um, so, so speak with love. Remember that um, one in three, one in, or 30% of um, all women have had an abortion or will have had an abortion by the time they're 45. 20% of all pregnancies end in abortion now. Um, and proportionately Catholics actually have more abortions than Protestants do, and so we can't just assume that the person sitting next to us in the pew um, hasn't been through this, and so um, speak with love, spread the good news about the healing. Um, We all want this to end, but really I think at this point the key to ending abortion is to heal the moms, and when we heal the moms, we can save the babies. So um, if you know of anybody that's suffering from this, please encourage them to come to um, Rachel's Vineyard. Um, And if you don't know, be careful. Always speak with love, always speak of the healing and the love that's possible from Christ. So thank you.
0: Which is that Linda Simon, who she mentions, came in order to unteach her daughter or whatever she was going to be taught is Catholic today. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, she, was there. She, she did come into the church at the end of that year. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, so, so, but no, just that's for you, Linda. Um, she listens to that. So, um, anyway, thanks for being here, and uh, you can listen to this and all of our episodes at theflamerc.com. So uh, go there, check it out, uh, and uh, bring her.